This is Notably Texan from 88.9 KETR and KETR.org. I'm your host, Matt Minky, and today I'd like to shed some light on a singer and songwriter from Texas who recently put out his album Bridges and Kerosene, a release that lets him talk a lot about his personal growth and how far he's come since his 2009 debut. He plays multiple instruments and is quite superb at crafting songs. You'll learn today about Austin Mays. Austin, it is wonderful to speak to you today. I appreciate you joining Notably Texan. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I understand that you uh, played trumpet professionally as early as your teenage years, so I gather that music has uh, kind of always been a big part of your life? Absolutely. I mean, I've been playing music uh, officially since 10 years old, but I was singing and playing music before that, you know, unofficially. Always had toy guitars and things like that, and you know, I, I picked up the trumpet at 10 and started my formal education in music, and it's kind of expanded from there. Did you kind of find music on your own, or did your parents kind of, uh, you know, encourage you to listen to certain artists growing up? Uh, my parents played a lot of music uh, growing up. I remember uh, from, you know, both my earliest memories are of them playing vinyl and uh, on the on the record player, and it was Rusty Weir and Steve Frumholtz and a lot of Mike Murphy. Uh, B.W. Stevenson was huge in the rotation, but also the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Like I, I think my my very earliest memory is my parents coming home from the Born in the USA tour and bringing me a shirt that was way too big, <laughs> but I eventually grew into. You've been able to keep using those trumpet skills uh, even in your current music too, even though it's it's not often heard in in kind of country and Americana. Oh yeah, and um, what I you know I credit that to Ben Morris, who is. Uh, the band leader of the Great American Boxcar Course. I play in that band as well as doing my solo stuff. Um, you know, he wanted me to sit in on horn, and so I started playing a lot of rock songs and country songs with them, making it up on the fly. You know, we don't really rehearse what we didn't back in the day. And uh, so I just kind of got used to doing a lot of fills and a lot of things that normal trumpet players you don't think of, uh, like uh, that that sort of... You know, Motown sort of trumpet licks. You know, I can do those too, but I've, I'm more like a chameleon, and I do a lot of swells in the background, a lot of harmonies, and then play my solos. And it's great. Uh, a lot of people don't expect it. Uh, well, they'll see us setting up a rock band, and then they'll see the trumpet and think it's kind of a novelty, but then it's on almost every song. And then they get it. I would imagine that, uh, you know, growing up, as I assume maybe you played trumpet in, in a band in school or something like that, you maybe never imagined that you'd be able to use these uh, licks, you know, in, in a band like this or in a rock band even. Yeah, I most of my uh, young career I was focused on being a symphonic player. You know, my I got my union card at 17. I had to take off school early and get to downtown Houston to get my union membership. And... Um, you know, we, I played a lot of classical music. I played in orchestras, symphonies, uh, you know, quartets, quintets, a lot of classical music, some jazz. And then uh, you know, I kind of put the horn down for a bit because I was sort of burnt out on that and then found songwriting and, um, you know, eventually was able to work the horn back in. And now I bring it to all my song swaps and uh, in the round shows where, 
I'll sing a song and then I'll play horn with somebody. That's great, man. Well, I, I love the way it sounds on uh, Bridges and Kerosene, your album that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, definitely here as we go. Um, I believe you're from a, a little town east of Austin, aren't you? Yeah, I live out in Thorndale now. I'm originally from Texas City down by Galveston, but my wife is from Thorndale. And uh, for those of you that don't know where Thorndale is, uh, you're not alone. Most people <laughs> don't. They have to look it up. The only people that know where it is have been through it, and uh, it's it's normally just a, a town you travel through on the way to East Texas. But we're we're pretty close to Austin, pretty close to College Station, so I'm pretty an hour either way, and uh, I get to play in both areas. Yeah, that does have you kind of nice and centrally located there to to be able to to hit some of those bigger places. But uh, yeah, definitely a tiny little place. It uh, it sounds like maybe you're enjoying some of the nice weather we've got today outside. <laughs> Oh yeah, is that is that a distraction? No, not at all. Inside? Honestly, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, I sit. Out, I like to sit out on my porch, and there's some birds and some people driving by, wave at the folks as they go by. <laughs> it's a it's a small town, and we've got some other musical talent from this town as well. So it's it's actually a really cool little spot. Now, uh, as you've been talking about, you've been in the music biz for uh, for some time, and you you started playing out with uh, these uh, other bands. You you kind of mentioned one of these, uh, but talk about some of the other bands that you've been involved in. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I played with a, a group out of Austin called uh, Strange Rendezvous. It was probably the worst band name ever, but we couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> and uh, and it was because we all met in weird ways. And uh, there's a guy named Michael Wagner who headed up that band. And I met people like Zenith Anderson, who sang in the band, and she co-wrote the first song on the record, uh, Leave Your Leaving. And uh, so we did that for a couple of years. Uh, we, we started playing more weddings, and then we kind of backed off as a band when the drummer went to, uh, I, I forget which country, uh, for a year to teach abroad. But then, you know, then I, uh, around right before the pandemic, I started playing with Ben Morris and, you know, solo shows, playing along with him. We went on a run to Nashville uh, as a trio, Great American Boxcar Chorus Trio. And um, that's what the song On My Way is about. It's about the support trip around Nashville and, you know, kind of staying positive throughout all that. But, you know, I really found a home with that band. After we got back, I started playing with the band more often, sitting in when I was available, and eventually became a full-fledged member right as the pandemic hit. And uh, <laughs> then we, you know, obviously we took some time to do remote stuff, and then we came back guns a-blazing after the pandemic was over. Yeah, man, I tell you, that definitely got in the way of a lot of people's plans. So uh, <laughs> I hear a lot of stories like that uh, where people had just gotten an album or something ready, and, and then the world kind of shut down for a while. But uh, we're getting back on track now. So <laughs> Yeah, and music's all about momentum, and we had a lot of momentum going before. And just had to build it back up afterwards, and and here we are. You know, lots of opportunities. I find myself speaking with you on this lovely afternoon, talking about an album that I put out. Exactly. <laughs> now, I was curious. So, when did you uh, put out your first album as a solo artist? So that was a, a long time ago, back in two thousand nine. Uh, we recorded it in two thousand eight, and I put a budget together with some financial backing. But we didn't account for any of the promotion stuff or printing, distribution, any of that. So we made a wonderful record, and nobody heard it. 
<laughs> and okay. you know, it's it's just not easy to get the you know you think you're going to put the music out there and it's just going to magically take off and uh, go viral somehow. But that's just not how it works. You know, you got to prime the engine a little bit. And so on this album, years and years later, uh, I worked with Adam Dawson with Broken Jukebox Media. And he's gotten my music out to many ears and eyes, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, he's uh, responsible for your music arriving at my desk, and uh, he does a great job uh, spreading the word about some excellent artists out there, so you definitely chose a good guy in Adam. (laughs) You know, there was a long time in between these albums where I, you know, I kind of worked with my own demons, you know, a lot of alcohol. um, But I was also towing the line between the the day job corporate world and the the night job. And it was just really hard to focus on both at the same time. And unfortunately, I took the path of least resistance, which was just going to the day job for a while. And I had great success with that. I enjoyed my, my trips uh, around the, the country, giving speeches and, and working deals and software sales. But you know, all along I knew that that this is what I wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, made some changes to be able to focus on it. And now got a new album out. I work exclusively as a musician. And then uh, I work a couple nights a week at the Saxon Pub as the door guy, where I get to talk to every musician. It's great. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> We're talking with Austin Mays here on 88.9 KETR. And uh, the latest album, Bridges and Kerosene, uh, has some songs with some uh, real depth. It, it kind of seems like you were able to open up about a wide range of topics on the album. Yeah. Um, and, and overall, it's uh, I think it's an optimistic view of growth. You know, I, I, I made a lot of steps forward in between the first album and then this uh then bridges and kerosene and uh it kind of chronicles that path of growth and and you know kind of set up the tracks in that way to sort of set you up for a journey take the journey and then wind down from it tell me about the uh, the album title bridges and kerosene if you can yeah so that came from a line in the song wretch like me uh talking about how you know, it, the song Wretch Like Me is kind of a mission statement for the album. It talks about some basic ideas of humanity that I think we we should all be able to agree on. And I wanted to start out by saying, hey, I'm not perfect. You don't have to listen, take everything that I say as the, tr- the, the gospel or the truth. So, I, you know, I said, hey, I'm not a perfect person. Anyone can see I've marinated bridges and kerosene. So, you know, it's kind of making amends and acknowledging the fact that, yeah, I haven't always been uh, the the positive, upbeat guy. And I've burned some bridges in the past, but, you know, I'm acknowledging that and taking ownership for it. And so that's kind of the the album talks about these steps back, but there's always the two steps forward after the step back happens. Now, uh, Austin, you've uh, been closely involved with some Texas music greats over the years. Uh, tell me about your relationship with the late Rusty Weir. Ah, well, Rusty Weir, as I mentioned before, and I grew up, my parents had some art. They, they went to UT in the 70s, so that whole Cosmic Cowboy movement was in full force. And so I would listen, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, they were playing Rusty Weir a lot. And um, so I moved to Austin in 06, and I spent the first six months 
really not doing anything. And I realized I, I moved here to play music. So I started looking up open mics. The first one I went to was at Pootie's Roadhouse out in Spicewood. Pootie Locke was uh, Willie's road manager for a long time, and he still owned the place when I went went out there. But um, I played their open mic. It was dead. And uh, so they kept giving me more songs to play. And, and I'd gone through, I probably had four original songs at that time. And I, so I ran out of material and, uh, you know, started playing some other stuff. Some B.W. Stevenson song came up. And I didn't know that Pootie had actually managed B.W. Stevenson before Willie. And so we hit it off. But some guy in the audience who became a friend of mine, his name was Mace, he came up and said, hey, man, you've got to come out to Rusty Weir's open mic. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and he told me about the Aunt Tilly's uh, in Lakeway every Thursday night, Rusty Weir. And I'm like, the Rusty Weir? He's like, I doubt there's any other Rusty Weir's <laughs> yeah. out there. And so I went and played that first one. The first night that I played, I went right after like a, a 12-year-old fiddle player, which is very hard to follow. Um, there's really, there, you just have to completely change directions after that. But, <laughs> you know, he came up to me and thanked me for coming out and told me he'd see me next week. And that was all the encouragement I needed to start going there regularly. Uh, Zade West, uh, who worked with him closely, and did ran sound for him, helped me get my first ever paid gig playing music out at uh, Carlos and Charlie's, which is a couple miles away from Aunt Tilly's. But, you know, uh, eventually a flood took Aunt Tilly's, and then Rusty got diagnosed with cancer. And uh, we still got to hang out every once in a while. And then I called him before he, you know, when he went moved back up to North Texas to be closer to family, I said, hey, we're going into the studio. I know that you're going to be in town for a show. Why don't you come by the studio and hang out for a, for a little bit? We might put you to work. And so he came in and uh, sang uh, on the, a track called uh, Hungover Sundays on the first record. And uh, he was worried about rustifying it too much, you know, with all of his yodeling and, and cool vocals. And we're like, no, that's exactly why we brought you in was to rustify things. <laughs> and so he just let it go. And, uh, you know, that, that Wednesday after that Sunday session, he started chemotherapy. And, um, you know, we're real fortunate to have had him in there. And I think everybody in the whole studio was acting like, we were the kids in the candy store with Rusty Weir in there. It's crazy the connections that you can uh, make in life at just the right time. So uh, that's, I'm glad that you were able to to have one of those uh, kind of final recording moments, I think, with, with Rusty, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he went into the studio again. I, I, he may have done some home recording stuff, but that was, the, from what I know, the last big big main recording studio type deal that he did. So uh, similarly, uh, how did you get uh, hooked up with Walt and Tina Wilkins? Oh, uh, well, I've been friends with them for m many years now, and it came from the first album. You know, the first album I did was with uh, producer John Greenberg, uh, Johnny Gringo, for anyone familiar. And he played in the Mysticaros, which was Walt's band at the time. Uh, and so we, we met by hanging out. You know, I'd go to a session or we'd talk about the record. And then I'd go to the show afterwards and, you know, met Walt and uh, Tina. And, and, and you've, you've met them before, I assume. They're just great people. And they've got a great energy. And, uh, you know, just 
kind of made sure that I was around that more and more. And over the years, we've become good friends. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to have them. They, they wanted to contribute to the album, so they uh, became executive producers. Uh, they paid for the, the mastering of with that was done by Jerry Tubb at Terra Nova in Austin. You've definitely made the right contacts uh, in the music world through your years, it sounds like. Yeah, and Tina is a wonderful performer and musician and i get to play trumpet with her every once in a while great well uh, as much as you take uh, inspiration from other artists i know that you're dedicated to, to crafting songs on your own uh, didn't you write all the material on bridges and kerosene yes except yeah, i did a, a co-write with zenith anderson on the first song but everything else i wrote and i mean i you know that counts too so of yeah. course <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, the, the same cannot be said for everyone that releases an album. Many people just kind of uh, take other people's material and whatnot, but uh, I know that a lot of music fans uh, really appreciate uh, people that, that write their own stuff. Is this something that you've uh, had to really kind of work on through the years, is it, or does it just come naturally to you? The way that I work on songs is I'll think of a line, or I'll think of an idea, and I'll, I'll write it down so that I could see it later. But normally, if it's a good idea, it'll keep swimming in my head, and I'll be in the truck driving and um I'll, I'll just hit i'll just mute the radio and, and start thinking about the lines and turning them over and um you know little by little it it, it kind of turns into a rough form and then we get the chisel and hammer out and then sand it down um <laughs> but basically it's um it's also kind of like fishing you know if you go to a a familiar fishing hole you know where the big bass is you probably have a nickname for it and one day you'll reel them in and throw them back to see another day but um you know one day you'll catch them and that's kind of how it is i know where the songs are i know that they're coming i just don't know when and what their final thing will be and uh you know that's one of the the good things about hanging out with people like walt tina and jimmy davis and johnny gringo and all these wonderful writers, it, it's great to be around that, to learn the craft, but it's also very intimidating. So a lot of, I just had to sit and wait until the songs were ready. You know, they, I had to think, how would these go over if I played them for my friends? And so while that put a wrench in me, right, uh, my output temporarily, Overall, it made the distilling process a lot better, and you know what's coming out the other end, I'm much more proud of. Well, for me, uh, one of the uh, standout cuts on Bridges and Kerosene is the song uh, Rattlesnake, which is one of these that uh, lets you blow a few notes on the trumpet that we were talking about earlier, and the song has this uh, this really nice, dark, and mysterious vibe to it that I just love. Uh, can I ask you to talk a little bit about the song Rattlesnake? I wrote that song because I thought about being a pacifist but not a pushover uh going out and working for the things that you need uh and then sticking together and providing for those who 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 need a little help and so you know i thought what's the most pacifist animal i can think of and it was a rattlesnake <laughs> um and you know a lot of people you know laugh at that at first but the, the truth is a rattlesnake doesn't want anything to do with you and uh, if it if you stomp, it'll go away. It stays away from the vibrations. Um, you know, if you ever go to Galveston and look at the signs that say venomous snakes are in the dunes, you never see the snakes because they're just not wanting to get close to you. Sure. And, you know, they'll try to rattle. They'll try to intimidate you away. 
but when it comes down to it, if they have to, they can they can defend themselves. And so uh, it's sort of that idea. It's like, hey, let's treat everybody, let's give everybody their space, respect them. Um, don't be uh, aggressive, but you know, if it comes down to it, that doesn't mean that we can't stand up for ourselves. You got to uh, play the the LP Vibra Slap, which is often heard in music but <laughs> rarely mentioned by name. Can you explain what the LP Vibra Slap is? It's like a rattle that has a ball on it, and it, it's on a it's on a rod. So when you hit the ball, it shakes, and it sounds like a rattle uh, snake. And you know, I listen to a lot of the band Cake growing up oh yeah <laughs> and they have a they have a lot of vibra slap in their stuff as well as trumpet and so that's true i knew that i knew that we wanted to use that thing on that song and i wanted to use it twice but uh chris the producer chris beal thought the once at the end would <laughs> would be more impactful okay. i was like man let's just put it all over the track i bet <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's on the uh, on Crazy Train. They use that on the old song Crazy. It's been heard on so many songs, but I honestly never yeah. never actually knew what and instrument made that sound until I was doing some research here on this. <laughs> yeah, and if you listen to the beginning of Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith, oh, they yeah. use the vibra slap, and it breaks, but they kept the the break sound. So no next kidding. time you hear that. Well, you're, you're a font of LP vibra slap uh, knowledge here. I didn't know I was going to get this kind of... Uh, it, 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 it's funny because it's it's only hit one time, and I only hit it one time in the studio, and it was perfectly on time, and we never hit it again. We never did anything with it, but I wanted to put it in the credits just That's because. That's funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love to, to think of, of a band that, uh, that has somebody who that's the only instrument they play. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. It, and, you know, they can alternate between that and the cowbell yeah. if they need to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh, so what's life for Austin Mays like uh, when you're not performing? It sounds like you, you enjoy kind of spending some time at home enjoying the, the outdoor weather. Oh, yeah. I, I get up in the mornings, and I bring the dogs outside. I sit on the patio. I, I answer my booking emails. I do some writing, listen to some music, play some guitar. Uh, you know, uh, three or four days a week, depending on what the, what the schedule's like, I go into the Saxon Pub and uh, work. The the evening shifts, a lot of times Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I actually get to hang out with Walt every week when he plays at 8 o'clock. Nice. You know, it's just kind of uh, the the days kind of make themselves up based on what I, what I need to do. Very nice. Uh, you talked about listening to, to music in your downtime. Do you have a pretty diverse uh, appreciation for different kinds of music? You were talking about uh, growing up listening to Cake, which is pretty different from what you do uh, now. So Yeah, I actually, um, I listen, I think most people have a diverse uh, musical background, but I'm very uh, into, I grew up listening to a lot of Tejano music. I speak Spanish fluently, uh, and I, I'm I could probably give a master class on Houston rap. No kidding. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like encyclopedic knowledge of that stuff. Uh, I listen to a lot of classical music. You know, uh, when somebody tells me that they like Latin music, I go, name one funeral mass. You know, <laughs> um, but you know, it's uh, it just kind of whatever I feel like listening to. And lately I've been listening to a lot of Americana like J.D. Clayton and uh, Van Plating, uh, Matt Moran, you know, just obviously a little bit of Walt and a 
little bit of uh, the classic stuff too. You know. That's fantastic, man. We, uh, you haven't had a chance to hear this program, but we we play uh, any music by Texans, so it's uh, we're not limited to any specific genre or anything. Most radio stations, you know, just play one type of music, but here on Notably Texan, we just play good music by Texas artists. So I I really respect your eclectic uh, appreciation of music like that. <laughs> you know, it's I'll be playing anything from Ramona Yala to Paul Wall and Slim Thug. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Well, uh, it looks like you're going to be traveling all over the state here in the coming months uh, in support of the new album. You've got a lot of gigs listed on your site. Yeah, um, we are we're going around. Uh, I'm going to be filling that up even more over the summer and looking to take it outside of Texas as well, hopefully in the fall. Um, just open to play wherever. You know, I, I find that just go out to the next thing, make connections, and build on the momentum. And it, it, you never know what opportunity is going to pop up, you know, when you're just talking to somebody before or after a show even. Um, you know, right now I think Walt and I are, are finalizing a date in October uh, at the old Porter Acoustic Cafe down in Galveston. So that'll be a good one. I'm from Texas City down there. So be a nice little home homecoming gig. Yeah. So uh, if somebody wants to kind of keep up with uh, your gigs and the latest, uh, they can find you online, right? That's right. It's austinmays.com. And uh, you've spelled it already, but it's M-A-Y-S-E. If you misspell it, it'll probably show up in Google anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just added a couple more dates while, uh, right before we talked. So, yeah, things are popping up over there. Well, uh, we always like to, to give an opportunity with guests uh, while we're chatting to them uh, to, to speak a little bit about uh, listener-supported radio, uh, and particularly with this kind of diverse uh, interest in music that you've talked about. You might have a comment about this because we're a listener-supported public station here in Northeast Texas, uh, one of the only ones in this area. Uh, so I don't know if you have any experience uh, kind of listening to any public radio stations or maybe visiting some uh, out to promoting your music, but uh, do you have any comments about public Public radio and why people should uh, support stations like this. Yeah, I I, I have a, a a bit to say about that. You know, I've been into a couple of uh, well, mostly independent listener supported stations, and frankly, uh, if you're a music fan and you talk about wanting to support music and support local music, there's two ways that you can really do that. And the first way is to pay to go to shows, buy T-shirts, buy CDs. You're literally putting money in the directly in the musician's pocket, and then uh, support the radio because um, without stations like yours, I wouldn't people wouldn't be hearing the music. You know, and I'm I'm being played on listener-supported radio almost exclusively throughout the nation, and uh, it's all because of generous patrons of music who want to keep this wonderful medium alive. And also, you know, I, I grew up listening to the Cajun music shows in Houston, and those weren't on mainstream radio. Like, my dad would play PT's radio uh, show or whatever, and we'd listen to all the accordions and Cajun music, and you know, you're not going to get that on stations that have to have to stick to a format, and it's just a different animal. Or a classical, for that matter, since you're a fan. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I grew up listening to K-Arts in Houston, and, uh, you know, Austin's got a great one as well, and, uh, yeah, if you want to hear stuff that the mainstream is, is missing, then this is where to go. 
Well, man, I've really enjoyed getting to know a lot more about you today, and I really do hope that next time we chat, it's uh, here in the KETR studios. We'd love to invite you by sometime. Oh, yeah, I'd love to come up there. And if any of you listeners uh, have spots that you would like me to come play, uh, feel free to hit me up. My contact info is on the website, and I'm always looking for new venues and new connections. His album Bridges and Kerosene is out now. Austin Mays, thanks so much for being my guest on Notably Texan. Thanks so much for having me. You have a wonderful day, and folks out there, support your local radio. His website is austinmays.com, M-A-Y-S-E, and his album Bridges and Kerosene is available now. And many thanks to Adam Dawson with Broken Jukebox Media for getting us in touch with Austin Mays. And of course, many thanks to Austin himself for his insights. And my name's Matt Minky. I also appreciate you for listening to Notably Texan on 88.9 KETR and online at KETR.org.